Good morning. Welcome all of you to worship at Christ Lutheran Church here in Alamo Heights in San Antonio. Here as we gather for worship on the fourth Sunday in the Lenten season. Our worship services are recorded and available, archived on our YouTube channel and accessible on our website. I direct your attention to our Facebook page in the future as well as email as we continue as a community of faith. We will certainly be here live streaming again next Sunday at 9.30 in the morning, so stay tuned. The church office is open for calls and information Monday through Thursday. Pastor Leslie and Jesus Garcia will be in the office again to answer calls and provide information. Remember, you may continue your offerings as we move forward faithfully in our digital and virtual spaces and ministries. You may contribute through the link on our homepage website. You'll see three buttons. You may click on the YouTube or the offering and podcast options. Troubleshooting options are available as well. Finally, a reminder that God is with us throughout all the times of our lives. We desire that you be blessed and well as we continue as a community of faith. I invite Pastor Leslie to come forward to begin our worship service with confession and forgiveness. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God who forgives all our sin, whose mercy endures forever. Amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive and lead us so that we may delight your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Almighty God, strengthen you with the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may live in your hearts through faith. Amen. Thanks be to God.
peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. When the world is dark and full of hate and fear, when we cannot see God, we will look to the light. When we cannot find our way back to love and peace, we will look to the light. When our vision dims due to the darkness within, we will look to the light. Christ opens our eyes with the gift of sight. The light of the world is Jesus Christ. Come and worship the one who brings sight to the blind. Praise God, the light of the world. First reading, 1 Samuel, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace? I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his structure, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see us as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called on Abinadab, and Jesse made cinema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, 
The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sat and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love all kinds of music, but the music I love most is the music that we sing about Jesus here in church. In church, we love to sing. It's one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite songs, To God Be the Glory. What a great hymn of praise to God. Another song is All the Way My Savior Leads Me. It tells about Jesus leads us through the how Jesus leads us through difficult times in our life. One of my all-time favorites is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Do you know what all of, these all of these favorites have in common this morning? They are all written by the same person. In fact, there are many hymns in our hymnal written by this person. Her name is Fanny Crosby. And when Fanny was six years old, she had an eye infection. Her regular doctor was out of town, and a man posing as a doctor gave her the wrong treatment. Within a few days, Fanny was blind. If that happened to me, I'm afraid I would be very bitter, and I would probably spend some time feeling very sorry for myself. While Fanny, she was never bitter, and she never once felt sorry for herself. When she was only eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what a happy child I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that, this, that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings, blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Instead of being bitter and feeling sorry for herself, Fanny used the gifts that God had given her to write over 8,000 hymns and poems to praise and glorify God. One day, Jesus was walking with his disciples, and when they passed by a blind man, when they saw him, the disciples asked Jesus who was to blame for the man's blindness. Was it because of his sins, or was it because of his parents' sins? Jesus answered them and told them that no one was to blame. He was blind so that God could be shown in him. Then Jesus healed the man, and the people praised and glorified God for his goodness. So what about Fanny Crosby? God didn't heal her blindness. Perhaps if God had healed her, she might not have written all those beautiful hymns, and the world would never have heard of Fanny Crosby. She used her tragedy of blindness to glorify God. I know in this time of uncertainty, all of you at home are probably wondering, when can I go play with my friends? Or as the youth would say, go hang out with my friends. When can I go back to school? 
or eat inside a Whataburger or walk into a Starbucks. Just remember that everything that happens can be used to praise and glorify God. Let us pray. Dear God, the difficulties in our lives seem small when compared to what others may be facing. Help us not to grumble and complain, but to praise and glorify you in every situation. Amen. Gospel according to John, the ninth chapter. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, 
for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. As I consider this lengthy Gospel this morning, I recall Pastor Leslie gathered the liturgical planning committee a number of weeks ago, long before current events were at the front in every headline. As the liturgical planning gathered, there were about five women and three men. We considered together the texts, the lectionary that was assigned to the Lenten season. Most of the time was spent reflecting on this very gospel from John's gospel in the ninth chapter. As I listened, it was more than a liturgical planning committee time. It became a very privileged audience for me based on the reflections on this very reading. It was particularly poignant among the women who were participating in that conversation. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Gave rise to conversation, particularly among those who have nurtured life and given birth among those women in that conversation. Each woman reflected on how profoundly they were affected by that period in their lives, when every day as life grew within them, 
They consider the responsibility of nurture and care, even, dare I say, worry, nurturing the life that was growing within. It's not to say men aren't concerned too, as men anticipate the growth of family in their lives. I think men, more than anything at that period of gestational 40 weeks, are observers, involved for sure. But it's the woman who nurtures life within and who feels it daily and constantly. And at the end of 40 weeks, births that child. Constantly, one woman said, I felt concerned I was doing all I could to ensure the safety of the child. Unsuccessful pregnancies are griefs not uncommon for couples, passing and perhaps underappreciated by those who surround them, and some dismissively saying unkind or trivial things can additionally wound a woman's heart. It became manifestly evident to me years ago when two of my dearest friends, I'll call them Stan and Margie, two of our dearest friends, if you can imagine those couples who are close to you, one after another experienced the grief of unsuccessful pregnancies. People would say things, I thought, that were insensitive, or just plain dumb. Things like, oh, the Lord had another plan, or you can have another child, which seemed only to exacerbate, to make worse the grief. Stan would confide in me that sometimes he wanted to slap him. Finally, Margie conceived again with the help of very costly and difficult medical procedures. And she kept it to herself, not wanting to disclose to others the life that was growing within her until it became absolutely undeniable that she was going to carry this child to term. She did so successfully and delivered this child as everybody around her didn't want to ask her day after day through those 40 weeks, how are you feeling today? But let her know that they were cheering for her on her side. She delivered what appeared to be this beautiful child of about eight pounds until a day later the pediatrician shared with her that her beloved daughter presented a chromosomal abnormality that would alter her life and all of theirs, their beloved daughter. And her question remains with me to this day. Perhaps the most frequent question clergy here, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail? Who sinned? This woman or her husband, that this child was born this way. These memories, and many like them, arose during that time of liturgical planning as we took to heart, as especially the women in the planning team took to heart the reading from the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. The question remains, so who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Reminds me that 2,000 years ago or more people said dumb things then too. But the gospel for today is perhaps captured in a single word. When Jesus responds to those questions from the disciples and those around, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind that the glory of the Lord might be shown and revealed through him. 
Again, I believe the most frequently asked question, whether of clergy or caregivers or physicians or any, is always why? Who sinned? Who did something wrong that something like this obtained? Because it seems the natural human inclination to blame. To find a place to affix blame and I may be exonerated, or the community may be exonerated. We demand clarity, ambiguity, reliance upon grace or mystery is extraordinarily difficult. We want certainty. Immediately, Jesus begins teaching his disciples that in the face of human suffering, in the face of blindness, of illness, ultimately our transition from this world to eternity, we must work the works of him who sent me, Jesus said, while it is light, until the night comes, and no one will be able to work. Jesus announces that I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. At that point, he took some spit and some mud, smeared it on the guy's eyes, told him to go wash in Siloam, and the light appeared. I am the light of the world. Light appeared to the blind man. And he teaches us, Jesus does, to do the works of the one who sent him while it is light until the time comes when none of us will be able to work. Beautiful imagery in this story. The imagery is of light and darkness. Throughout John's Gospel, frequently we read, Jesus is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. The image of healing a blind man is to bring light into this person's eyes, that God may be revealed. Not so that blame may be attached to someone, but that the Lord's grace may be abundant, manifest, and known to all of us. The man who was healed tells the story of healing, but the clergy don't believe it. It doesn't fit in their system of blame and responsibility, a theology of retribution, or that God will come get you if you do something wrong. Instead, Jesus speaks of light. Clergy won't have it. He tells the religious police, such as they were, I don't know this man. All I know is that I could not see and now I can see. They go to his parents. They, I guess, apply pressure to his parents. Tell us more about this man, suspecting that he would interfere with their system. Not wanting to get caught in the crossfire, the parents say, well, go ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. So they go and ask him again. And he said, I already told you. But you didn't want to listen. You don't want to hear. And eventually they put him out of the synagogue. A strong act like excommunication, shunning someone from the community entirely. So who sinned? Whose fault? Whom do we blame? Take with you today a single word. The gospel says neither. God has another plan to address human suffering. God has another plan to address the ills that we confront, whether they be grand and global or personal. And it is that Jesus doesn't debate Jesus doesn't theologize. Jesus joins us. God sends a sufferer into a suffering world. God sends a sufferer in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God enters our state of suffering, choosing to join us in the world and show us a way to the light that is eternal. In recent days, we've heard a lot of explanation of what's going on in the midst of threat to public health. I have heard political leaders say such things as we really aren't so bad. Some say we should still go out to 
pubs and theaters. Some think that the end of the world is coming and we're all doomed. I've even heard some say, well, a miracle will come. It will all go away. How glad I am this is the season of Lent. Not long ago in the very nave of this church, Pastor Leslie smeared some ashes on my forehead and said, dust you are and to dust you shall return. We didn't debate about theology and blame. But the ashes reminded me of reality, that this is my reality, that I will confront a transition in my own life from this life to life eternal. Each of us will. That life will have occasions when we will face disease or illness or war or other kind of challenge to faith and trust. The smear of ashes and reality empowers me to look squarely at the situation before me, not run from it like we're all doomed or be in some denial that it's just all going to be fine and I'll stay on spring break at the beach. You know, it's a lot easier to argue about why suffering exists and whom we might blame than to look it square in the eye and celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as God comes not to explain away or to argue, but to join us. For years I was taught as a military leader that when there is a threat, you lean into it. You see it and move toward it. For some, that will be their duty in days to come. I know physicians and nurses and technicians and caregivers, first responders and others who will lean into this threat, who have weapons of healing, weapons of protection that will save us, that will care for us. But the weapons against this enemy, to further the metaphor, I don't have. Few of us do. It is those caregivers who lean into this enemy. Even in combat, I had to remember that I needed not to become a casualty. If I did, then the flight docs and nurses and technicians would have to care for me and would not be truly able to care for those wounded in action. For many of us, probably most of us, our duty in the time to come will be to exist lovingly and patiently in our homes with loved ones, providing safety and confining the threat that we know to be real, neither minimized nor portending the end of God's creation. I didn't fly jets when I was a chaplain, nor did I load bombs. Maybe now I need to keep myself from being another patient to treat, being another number on the nightly news. I'm so glad Lent is the season, a season to remember what begins with ashes and now walks toward the light of resurrection. Never did Jesus try to explain away the origins of suffering, but he leans toward it. Think of Gethsemane and how did Jesus pray as he walked resolutely toward Jerusalem. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this is the hour that I come to face. Jesus walks towards suffering, chooses to carry his own cross, and then invites us to do the same, that if you want to follow me, to take up your cross and follow me. It took time for Jesus to embrace the role of the suffering servant. Letter to the Hebrews reminds us, although he was the son, he learned obedience through his suffering. It's a hard time for me, too. I want to lean into this threat. But I know those who will, who will faithfully care for us with weapons of science and truth. How greatly I appreciate those who are there. 
I remember the ashes now washed from my forehead with the knowledge that are opportunities here for every one of us. Opportunities for patience, for compassion, and for trust. Stan and Margie taught me that years ago. And by the way, the word compassion in the New Testament language, if you look at Colossians, it's the word for guts. Guts is the word. Splankton is the word. Compassion in the ancient world was really, they thought, rooted in our guts, in our viscera. Compassion is that which we feel deep within. And closing this morning, as I remember Stan and Margie, as they faced the questions in their own life, who sinned? What did I do wrong? I saw them care for one another with patience. One would be grieving and one would be recovering, yet they were sensitive to one another. With compassion, weeping when both wept, laughing when they were both laughing. And I remember Stan telling me, it's easy to laugh with someone in their joy. True love obtains when you share another's tears. For patience, for compassion, and trust. That couple taught me, they trusted their caregivers in the truth and the science that helped them through their challenging time. Trust in the Lord, our creator. And so finally, who sinned in 2019, 2020? The Chinese, some people say. I heard in the news this morning another country blames the United States that it planted this, uh, this disease, this virus. And any aid that the United States would offer, well, that's just another opportunity for furthering the disease. I hear all manner of bizarre conspiracy theories that want to answer that same question. Who sinned? Whose fault? Whom do we blame? Instead of looking toward the light. Jesus walks with us, straight toward it. Straight toward that which threatens, toward suffering, toward disease, to the transition to the life eternal. Doesn't argue, but joins us. That's the role of the church. The role of faith to encourage. And we, the Lord's church, must now ourselves work the works of the one who sent Jesus to us. And so doing, the risen Christ leads us to the light, to the light that is eternal. Amen.
let us confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Let us pray the prayers of intercession. Turning our hearts to God who is gracious and merciful, we pray for the church, the world, and all who are in need. God of insight, help us to know your wisdom at this uncertain time. We pray for scientists and researchers as they search for answers which might alleviate the health crisis around the globe. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. God of insight, grant grace, patience, and safety to doctors, nurses, first responders, and all health care providers. We give you thanks for their giftedness. We pray that you would give them good courage and a sense that you are walking with them in this critical hour. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. God of insight, anoint leaders who seek goodness, righteousness, and truth on behalf of all. Help nations to work together to fight against this pandemic. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. God of insight, you care for our needs even before we ask. Come quickly to all who seek prayer this day, especially Ava DeFriest, Les Robbins, Libby Perez, David Larson, Jane Lange, Dan Long, Russell Williams, Chandra Singh, Bernie Rice, Janie Rendazzo, Rachel Wright, Robert Bastian, and Dennis Fortesane. We also pray for all those suffering from this pandemic, accomplish healing through the work of doctors, nurses, physical therapists, nutritionists, and all who tend to human bodies. Hear us, O oh God. God of insight, help this assembly lift up the unique gifts of each person, no matter their physical capacity, cognitive ability, or sensory need. Help us to be creative and brave in making our facilities and our ministries accessible to all. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. God of insight, you call out to those who are asleep and awaken them to new life with you. We give thanks for your saints, especially those who have died as a result of this pandemic. Join us together with them as your children in this world and the next, and give comfort to their families as they mourn their loss. Hear us, O God. Mercy is great. According to your steadfast love, O God, hear these and all our prayers as we commend them to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we pray together the prayer our Lord taught us. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, And we now invite all of you at home to share the peace with one another. The peace of the Lord be with you always. We share that sign of peace now.
Let us pray together. Living God, through your love, we find our eyes opened, and we see the world the way you see it. We pray that you use these gifts to do your work in our hurting world, offering The God of steadfastness and encouragement grants you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Amen. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The God of all grace bless you now and forever. Amen. to God.